0: Alright, so as I said, chapter 15 um, is a major transition in uh, this discourse as a whole. Jesus has already explained to them that he has to leave and why that is a good thing. And he's given them this rich Trinitarian theology that we've been living in. And then at at the end of chapter 14 where we were last week, he essentially says we don't have much time together. I'm not going to be able to talk to you much longer. It's time. So verses uh, chapters 15, 16 and 70, 17 are truly Christ's final words to His disciples. In some sense, the whole upper room discourses that, but 15, 16 and 17 are really that. In chapter 15, what he will do is he will give this rich imagery of Christian community that we'll introduce today. In chapter 16, he will give encouragement to this community that will be a persecuted and suffering community. And then in chapter 17, he will give a final prayer for his community. So, from here on out, uh, the word and the messages are going to be primarily directed at the community of God's people. Those who identify as followers of Jesus, members of his church, baptized into his church. That's not to say that if you do not consider yourself a follower of Jesus, that there's nothing here for you. Um, Certainly it is, and and every time I preach, I I bear in mind uh, those of you who um, are here may not be followers of Jesus, but I I would just say this. If that's not you, I I would love for you to listen in on this family discussion and, and ask yourself, is this not a community that I would love to be a part of? Consider this community Consider what Christ is forming and ask yourself, could I see myself as a part of this? Because too often, you view Christian communities perhaps through the lens of what we have shown you, and sadly, what we have shown you isn't the prettiest picture. Um, I would ask that you not judge Christian community by um, our actions, which at times can, can be pretty hypocritical and um, embarrassing, to put it bluntly, but... Judge Christian community upon Christ's vision for Christian community and join us and ask, is this a community I would love to join because we would love for you too. To the community of people of God, today I simply want to take the time to explain this famous metaphor of Christ's community in chapter 15, which is what Jesus does with those first two verses. It says verse through verse 3 um, in your order of worship, um, three verses a little ambitious for me this week, so we're just going to do one and two. And uh, jump into three in the longer section next week. Essentially what he's going to say is that he has come to form a community around himself. And that the fruit of this community is the reproduction of himself. A new community formed around him that reproduces him. But it must be said up front that that paradigm that we're going to look at is true of every community. Whenever we talk about community, it is important to note that individualism is a myth. Individualism is proclaimed in our culture as something that you can live in, but that's a myth. You are a part of a community. You are bound to a system like Jesus is talking about being bound to Him as the vine. You are a part of a community connected to a vine, a common system, and constantly reproducing the fruit of that system, whether you know it or not. Many of you know I was in D.C. this week um, doing some advocacy work, and, and it was a cool experience, but also came away with great disillusionment because, I guess my, my cynicism was affirmed, um, because what I encountered was just one big system that these people are just reproducing the fruit of that system. You have uh, those who are in the um, RNC tribe who um, are connected to the worldview and system and talking points of that tribe who just follow the line of that tribe and just reproduce the talking points and actions and legislation of that tribe. And then you have the DNC, which is its own tribe and system with its own talking points, a way of seeing things, and they're connected to that, and they just simply reproduce that and... To a greater degree, all of Washington, both the RNC and DNC together, all of Washington is addicted to a larger system of power, of greed, of vanity. Washington, D.C. is just one big community. If you've been there, you get the sense of it when you step into it. It's just one big community that has its own system, this interconnected system, perpetuating fruit, which, quite honestly, is pretty ugly fruit. And that is the system. And that is true of every single person here. Connected to, united to some system, reproducing the fruit of that system. Well, Jesus in John 15 is going to form His community, His system, with its own reproduction. And the paradigm of the community is set out here in verses 1 and 2. We're going to see the life of Christ's community and then the test. ...of Christ's community. Life in verse 1, test in verse 2. Verse 1, the life of the community. I am the true vine. The key word to understand the imagery of the vine is the word true. I am the true vine. What that implies is that he doesn't view himself as the only vine. And that could be true of what I just said. There are many vines, there are many systems... And this is his system, and he believes his system is true, but biblically speaking, he sees himself as the true vine because of this. The vine metaphor is not new to Scripture. In fact, it is very prominent in Old Testament literature as an imagery for Israel. Israel was God's vine, created and cultivated as a community of God's people, a community with the life of His blessing to any and all who were connected to the vine of Israel to produce the fruit of God's blessings in this world. That was the purpose of Israel, the imagery of Israel. That's not what happened. Israel did not produce the fruit of God's blessings, even though God, the vine dresser, as He calls Himself often in the Old Testament, did everything to get the vine to produce. There are passages where the Lord speaks of Himself as watering, as weeding, as pruning, as trimming, as cutting off dead branches. And again and again, the the vine just fails to produce. Either doesn't produce any fruit or produces bitter fruit. And so God hands over the vine to its own destruction in judgment. The prophetic passage from Isaiah that we heard read this morning. Now inhabitants of Jerusalem... Men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall, be, it shall not be pruned or hoed, or, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the cloud that they rain no more upon it. And so God hands the vine of the Old Testament over to its own destruction. So does that mean that God's purposes have failed? That the fruit of God's blessing and purposes in this world has died along with the vine? Well, you know, the answer is no. The vine, just like every theme, every picture, every promise in Scripture, finds its rescue and redemption and fullness in Jesus who is the true vine. Jesus comes to be what Israel failed to be. And so from the dead overgrown, weed-infested vineyard of Israel's story sprouts forth what Isaiah promised. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from its roots shall bear fruit. The promise finds its fulfillment in Jesus, the son of David, the son of Jesse, who comes and says, I am the true vine. I am the source of life, of promise, of blessing, of hope to this world. In me is the nourishment of eternal life that forever bears fruit. And I have come to form a new community, a new covenant people around this new vine reality such that all who are united to Christ, connected to Christ, will assuredly possess life and bear the fruit of life. Which presents a problem for us. Not all members... ...of Christ's community seem to bear this fruit? Well, that's because not all members of Christ's community are truly connected to Christ. Unlike in the Old Covenant, the vine is not the problem. The vine of the New Covenant is alive forever. And so if a branch is not bearing fruit... ...it is not an indictment on the vine, but the branch... It is not a sign that the vine is without life. It is a sign that the branch is not truly connected to the life. Which leads us to Jesus' greater discussion. That's the theological work of the imagery of the vine and its history and where it comes from. The life of the vine, the true vine, is Jesus. He says... And the Father is the vine dresser. The Father watches over the garden of His community with perfect care, attention, and precision, looking for one thing in particular. Let's consider that now for the most of our time. The test of Christ's community. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes. The test could not be more straightforward. The Father is looking for fruit. If a branch does not bear fruit, it is cut off and thrown away. And we will look in more detail of what that is later on. If a branch does bear fruit, it is pruned. And so the question of questions, the test of the community, is are you bearing fruit? Now, what is fruit? First, let me say what it is not, because commonly, this is how people conceive of it. What it is not is a list of good things that you're supposed to do and bad things that you are not supposed to do. And you're bearing fruit if you're doing the good things and not doing the bad things. But it's really simple. Here's what Christians do. Here's what Christians don't do. If you do these things, you're really a Christian. If you don't do these things, you're not a Christian. I was talking to, in D.C., I was talking to Congress and Massey, who represents the, uh, the upper part of the state from all, northern Kentucky, and we were talking about Christian, uh, he's, he, he's a Christian, and we were talking about the Christian faith in his district and how it differs from Appalachia all the way over to uh, Jefferson County. And he said to me, you know, there are parts of my district, he said, where it's really simple. Who is a Christian? Someone who doesn't drink, period. If they don't drink, they're a Christian. If they drink, they're not a Christian. And it's that simple. This is not the way we conceive of fruit, that we have these lists of things. You know what that is? That's, that's religion. That's not, or that's not fruit of a living tree. That's decorating a dead Christmas tree trying to make it look pretty. A life of a tree is bearing fruit, and it's much more than don't do this and do, do this. So if it's not simplistic lists of do's and don'ts, then what is fruit? Well, consider the meaning of the imagery. Imagery. After all, he's using it for a reason, right? What is the purpose of fruit of a plant? It carries the seeds that the plant might reproduce. That is, reproduction is the ultimate purpose of fruit. And so the fruitfulness that God is looking for is the reproduction of the life of the vine. And Jesus just said that he is the vine. Meaning this... You are reproducing Jesus to the world. We are in Jesus. We are the branches of the true vine, united to the life of Jesus. Therefore, we are necessarily going to be reproducing the life of Jesus into the world. Okay, but what does that mean? Some like to define it simply in terms of evangelism and conversion. To reproduce Jesus is to make converts to Jesus, soul winning. Certainly... Fruit, included in the fruit, is evangelism. and might, One might make the argument, I'm okay with it, that conversion to Christ is the ultimate fruit of the vine. But to make it exclusively evangelism is a woefully deficient view of fruitfulness that dismisses so much of our life and our work. Some define fruitfulness as love. That's a very common interpretation. God's highest ethic is love. And as we saw last week, to be in Christ means to be enveloped in God's love, and therefore to reproduce is to spread the love of Christ. I think that's a better definition, a more encompassing answer, and the definition more faithful to the contextual theme of John 14 and 15, which talks a lot about Christ's love. But the problem with that is, what does love mean? We have such a deficient view of love that has reduced it down to this kind of bland general ethic of humanitarian goodwill and kindness that such fruitfulness of Christ's community would simply become the ethic of kind of a modern western tolerant society meaning many of these people who don't even believe in Jesus at all are reproducing Jesus that doesn't make sense the reproduction of love is right it's the right answer but it's a confusing answer because of how we conceive of love so what is it? Well, if it's reproducing Jesus to the world, then let's not overcomplicate things. Fruitfulness looks like Jesus. It's not going to be as clean as you want it to be. It really isn't. If you want a list, the closest thing I can give you is, of course, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. But if you look at that, it will also frustrate your desire for a list. For what does it mean to be a person of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness? Ultimately, you're going to end back with Jesus embodying these things. So, I guess what I'm saying is, I'm sorry, fruitfulness, as much as we want it to be easy, discernible, and clear, it's not. Fruitfulness that God is looking for will simply not be reduced down to something we can control and systematize. Because it's not the fruit of a religion or a system, it's the fruit of a person. That's the difference. If we're just talking about a system, then yes. Here are the tenets of the system. Here are the rules of the system. Here are the beliefs of the system. And you reproduce that. But you're not reproducing that. You're reproducing a person. How is that defined? Well, that's why the key to fruitfulness, as we will see next week, is abiding in that person. But, this week, let's just let Jesus divine the fruit. We're testing ourselves here at the beginning as a community... Let's just let Jesus define fruitfulness. So perhaps it would help to ask some diagnostic questions that flow from the life and work of Jesus. This is where I would like for us just to test ourselves. I just kind of went through the Gospels thinking about Jesus and formulating some thoughts. Jesus sacrificed all that he had to prioritize the needs of others. That's the essence of the gospel, as Will said. He who who was rich became poor, so that those poor might become rich. So if we looked at your money, your time, your gifts, your blessings, your resources, are those being leveraged for the good of others, or just selflessly serving your own desires and ambitions? Jesus was known as one who fellowshiped, engaged, dined with tax collectors and sinners. In their society, the worst of the worst. Are you? Are you engaging the world around you? Are you meeting sinners, our tax collectors and sinners? Are you meeting them where they are? Are you inviting sinners to your dinner table? Or are you a Christian isolationist, content in the safe confines of Christian subculture, where you're able to look down upon tax collectors and sinners? Jesus cared deeply for the poor... Hurting, marginalized, and outcast of society. Not just in sympathy, but in action. He loved to alleviate the painful effects of this fallen world. Do you love to do that? Is yours a life of justice and mercy and action? Jesus didn't fit into the categories of this world. Again, this is something that I was really impressed upon after this week. The thing about Jesus is he just never fit into the categories of this world, because he viewed himself as the king of another world, the king of the kingdom that transcends the categories of this world. So the Pharisees, the religiously politically, the religious and politically conservatives, they didn't like him. But this, neither did the Sadducees, the religious and politically progressives, nor did the pagan Roman culture like him. And he also transcended the Jew Gentile ethnic divide, and the male female. Dynamic. And just about every other worldly tribal category of the day, Jesus just didn't fit into any of them. Do you? Have you imposed upon Jesus the RNC conservative worldview or the DNC liberal worldview or uh, Western culture worldview or the millennial worldview? The world didn't really know what to do with Jesus. Does the world have a category for you? Jesus lived a life of righteousness, obedience to the law, denial of temptation, extreme measures of holiness. Do you? Or do you think connection to the vine kind of baptizes a life of overindulgence and licentiousness and just... Doing whatever you want to do. If you think connection to Jesus offers this free reign connection to cheap grace, you are woefully mistaken. Union to Jesus is to be united to the man who delights to do the will of the Father. A man who hates what is evil and loves what is good. A man who did what was right, what was righteous, and did not do what was sinful. Does that look like your life? How about this one? Jesus lived a life of this just amazing peace and transcendent comfort and surety and faith. Who could take a nap in storms. Who with threats and enemies and everything, he just always seemed to be fully at rest in his Father's will. How about you? Faith. Peace. Peace. Trust or wrapped up in this life of anxiety, just like the systems of this world that are so fearful and so paranoid. Jesus was bold. Jesus was bold and at times awkward in an offensive way. So much so that it got him killed. Are you? He wasn't offensive because he was a jerk. Let me make that clear. He was offensive because he was bold. When was the last time following Jesus was more important to you than social graces? When was the last time someone didn't like you? Again, not because you're a jerk. You don't get that out. Someone didn't like you because you were a follower of Jesus. When was the last time you were persecuted for righteousness' sake? Because of Jesus. Jesus. When was the last time the world hated you because of Jesus? Because the world certainly hated Jesus. I was in a cab ride this week, and uh, the driver was a, was a Muslim uh, driver. And he, from all the way from my hotel to the airport, he evangelized me. He, 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 he shared his faith with me and, and um, told me the tenets of Islam and what I needed to do to escape Allah's judgment. And I listened politely the whole time, and then we were getting out, and I said, man, I've I've listened to every word you've said. I've considered every word you've said. I appreciate your willingness to be bold with me. Thank you so much for being honest with what you believe. Can I tell you that Jesus Christ is the Son of the Living God, that He died for your sins, that He's risen from the dead, and He is the Lord of all judgment, and He is who you are to fear. And He just... See ya. And I got out of the cab and I was like, when was the last time I did that? When was the last time I was like the Jesus freak guy? Just awkward. Because Jesus was. I think you see what I'm doing here. I can't give you a list of fruit. I can give you Jesus. I can only give you a person and say that fruit is the reproduction of that person in this world. Which, and this is the point of the way I did it, by the way... You might say, there's not one thing encouraging about that. I can do a list. I can't do Jesus. Literally, everything you just said, I'm convicted about. And now I'm worried. If Jesus is the standard of fruit, then can anybody honestly say they are reproducing fruit? Well, two things here. Jesus is the vine. We are merely the branches producing fruit. We are seeds of the vine... That is to say, God is not expecting you to be the vine. The expectation is that seeds of the vine are within you. More importantly, though, notice how Jesus ends the metaphor. Every branch that does not bear fruit, that does bear fruit... ...he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Do you know what that is saying here? Fruit is not necessarily bearing perfect fruit fullness of fruit, but that God is pruning you to produce more fruit, that He sees fruit and He is doing everything He can to cultivate more fruit in your life. Or to state it without the imagery, the fruit is not perfect Christ-likeness, but that God is at work in your life sanctifying you toward more Christ-likeness. Now that's more like it. I think this resonates with true believers of Jesus, who can't say, yeah, I'm doing Jesus perfectly, but... The question of question is, do I want more Jesus, more Christ-like, at any expense? Prune me, Jesus, because I want to be more like you and do more for you. Now, the pruning is not pleasant. You need to know that. I suppose if my plants could talk, they would tell me they do not like being trimmed. If my plants could talk, actually, they would say, would you, would you please trim us? <laughs> uh, The branches don't want to be trimmed. It's not a pleasant experience, but it does produce more fruit. It's painful, but do you want the pain for more fruit? By the way, a major theme of of John 15 is choose your pain. Nobody, nobody, Jesus leaves no one alone. Cut off, thrown off in the pain of, away from Christ, or pruned in the pain of the loving, sanctifying love of Christ. Choose your pain. But do you want the pain for more fruit? Therefore, the real fruit, here it is, the real fruit is whether God is messing with you to make you more like Jesus. So perhaps the best diagnostic question for all of us this morning is whether your ultimate desire is more fruit, more Jesus, no matter what it takes, Lord. I will tell you from last week, one conversation I had that was so refreshing and so I just totally blessed my soul... Um, and it wasn't surprising because I, I had I know this guy before, um, one of my heroes in public thought and discourse and the way he does politics is Senator Ben Sasse from Nebraska. And um, and I was and I was really excited about getting time with him. And before I met with him, I was asking around Washington what people thought. Every member of Congress, staff, and everybody would say, "Hey, what do you think about Sass from uh, from Nebraska?" And and, um, by the way, if you want to get into he wrote uh, the, Van- the Vanishing American Adult. Yeah, that's, that's his book, um, which is incredible. And then also he spoke at Gospel Coalition a few years ago. You can go listen to his talk there. But anyway, um, I, I would ask, and you know what the word that kept coming up over and over again about this guy? Different. Conservatives would say that. They would say, I don't know, he's just different. He's, just, he's more thoughtful than most seem to be. He cares more deeply than most seem to be. I talked to um, progressives and they'd say, you know, he's just different. I talked to one guy who's just a hardcore liberal politician. He said, yeah, Sass, I don't know what to do with him. He's just really different than the Republicans. I don't know. He's just different. And then when I uh, met with him, my conversation with him was completely different than all the conversations I had that week. He was interested in me and my work here in Kentucky. Here's this guy who's doing all this stuff and he wanted to hear about what God's doing at TCPC. And he said, hey, you know, everybody else was cutting their meeting short uh, because they had to get to this next meeting. He had to cut his meeting short because he was jumping on a plane to uh, quickly fly back and make his daughters dance that night. He quit Twitter because he didn't like what it was doing to his soul. He was, told me he's not concerned about re-election, but concerned about using platform for the common good, even if it angers his own party, including Trump, who, who has had his thing with Sass, and, and all these different things. And he just said he's different. Do you know Why? Because Ben Sass is a Christian. You know, I'm not trying to make him the hero of this. He wouldn't want me to do that. He's not perfect, but he is different. He's a Christian. Member of PCA church, by the way. Christian. Really different. <laughs> He's part of a different community. Connected to a different system that transcends Washington and all the craziness and all the other systems. Where the fruit is not power and vanity. The fruit is Jesus. What about you? Is your ultimate desire the reproduction of more Jesus in this world? or do you want, And do you want pruning for the sake of that reproduction? Do, do you say, Lord, do what you must. I want to be more like Jesus because I want more fruit of Jesus in this world. Do you want to be comfortable or do you want to be like Jesus? If you don't want God messing with you, If you don't want His pruning, if you don't want Him telling you what to do, you just want to be left alone and do your own thing because that's what is most important to you, that's more important than Jesus, then the bad news is is that you will get what you want. You will be your own dead branch, unconnected to the vine, that God will not prune but will cut off and throw away. But if you want Jesus and want to reproduce Jesus even at the cost of God's painful pruning, then the good news is that you will get what you want. Not your comfort, but more fruit. Let me pray that it would be so. More fruit, God. Whatever the cost. This is the cry of your community. It's a prayer we fear to pray, but it's a prayer that we do dare to pray. Lord, not that we have attained it, but we press on. Not that we are at the standard of the vine, but that we want more deeply to be like the vine, the bare fruit of the vine. Make us more like Jesus, reproduce more Jesus from our lives into this world, and use this holy sacrament to deepen us into you, Jesus, to abide with you and in your love that we might bear fruit. We pray this in Jesus' name.